Hey, good to see everybody here. Thanks for being here. Um, and to all of you online, thanks for continuing to persevere through less than ideal circumstances and staying safe. We're glad that you're here with us and that we can worship together today. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. And if uh, you're new or if you're just joining us, uh, we started a series last week that we're continuing on uh, for the next several weeks called Lent in the Ordinary. Now, if you're new to church or maybe you, like me, grew up in a a church tradition that didn't observe the season of Lent. Lent is simply a season of time leading up to the celebration of Easter. So it's about 40 days. It's not about, it's 40 days, not, in, well, I say about, because it's not including the Sundays. I don't know why they did it that way, but it's 40 days, not counting Sundays. And it's a time where historically Christians have engaged in practices that help them to focus on the life of Jesus and engage in that as a time of preparation for Easter. And so uh, we've done that as a community for, for many years, and there's lots of resources. If you'd like to join um, with some of us who are doing these practices, practices of giving things up or of taking things up, there's information about how you can participate with that on our website, newdiver.org. And one of the resources that we're using this year is actually guiding our time on Sundays. It's a, it's a devotional guide called uh, Lent in Plain Sight. Um, and it's one that I've been reading and really, really appreciating and enjoying. Norton found it, and um, it, it's really looking at different stories from Scripture, particularly from Jesus' life, through common, everyday, ordinary kinds of objects, and helping us to look through those objects and to see maybe the story slightly differently. So we're going to begin today by talking about our first uh, ordinary object, and it is indeed an ordinary object, probably something that most of you have in your home, maybe something that you interacted with even this morning. Today, we're going to talk about bread. Now, before, even, you know, even despite the anti-gluten, the anti-carbohydrate sort of craze that's hit America, um, even despite that, bread remains the most consumed food item on the planet. There, there's a decent chance that many of you here today uh, ate some bread of some form before you came today. In fact, there's probably somebody at home right now who's like mid-muffin, like they're eating breakfast while they're participating in church. And hey, that, go for it. That's part of the value of being, or the, the advantage of being at home. But bread is just such a normal, ordinary part of our life. Sometimes we can forget about it or, or just kind of take it for granted. Although I will have to admit, I am one of those people, um, one of those weirdos who got into making bread during the pandemic. Yeah, I know, so cliche, so hipster of me. Um, but there's actually, a decent, I think, a decent story about it. So I got into making sourdough bread. In fact, we have a picture of, this is a loaf of bread that I made not too long ago. I actually made a loaf yesterday, kind of getting ready for this sermon, felt like I should make some bread, and it was really good. Um, but how I got into it is sort of interesting. So my, my sister-in-law, who lives up in Wyoming, she got into making sourdough as well, and she said, well, I can give you some starter. And if you don't know, sourdough starter is just simply this slurry of, of flour and water, but it catches this yeast and bacteria that grows that acts as a leavening agent. So it grows in that flour-water mixture. And actually, um, strains of sourdough starter are kept alive for years and years and years. And here's the cool part. This is what my sister-in-law told me. And in fact, we have a picture. There's a picture of the, that's what the, that's the, the bubbling is the, the yeast and the bacteria kind of doing its thing. But here's the cool part about my starter. My sister-in-law got it from a friend of hers in Wyoming who told her, this has been in my family since it came over in a covered wagon in the 1800s. 
So that little pot of bubbling goo sitting on my counter at home right now has a strain of connection all the way back over 100 years. Now, here's the thing. I don't even care if it's true or not. I just love that story. Isn't that awesome? Like, my bread goes back 100 years. But here's the thing. If you're, if you're not a weirdo like me and, and you haven't gotten into bread making or haven't done it, you probably don't think too much about bread. None of us do. It's just a normal part of everyday life. You, you know, you, you, it's the thing that holds our hamburger together. It's, it's the thing that's on the side when you eat a meal. It's, it's just not something we think too much about. But I want to think about it a little bit today and consider that bread is a human creation. And it hasn't been around forever. It is something human beings made. Like somebody thought about taking meal, you know, taking wheat or, or grains and grinding them and mixing them with water, and then somebody left it sitting out overnight and it caught some yeast and it rose, and, and we have bread. So I want to talk a little bit, a little bit of a history lesson before we jump in to, to the Bible. I want to talk about bread and its, its development, how central it is to human life. Now, we don't know exactly how old the human race is. We're not exactly sure how long Homo sapiens have been on the planet, but they have found skeletons in Africa that date back 200,000 years. So let's use that as a starting place. Human beings have been around for at least 200,000 years on this planet. Now, here's the interesting thing. Something changes and happens about 10,000 years ago. Up until that point, 190,000 years, human beings were foragers. We were nomadic. We moved around, we hunted, and we gathered. If you're a paleo person, you already know that because you're like, this is what human beings are supposed to eat. You know, so this is what we did. We hunted animals, we gathered fruits and vegetables and nuts, and we ate them. And that's what most of human history was. And then 10,000 years ago, something interesting happens. Historians call it the agricultural revolution, where suddenly people started domesticating animals and raising them in order to, to slaughter them and eat them. And they begin using their milk products and, and getting food from that. They begin cultivating crops and growing them, tending them. Agriculture became a central way of life. I read a, a book a few years ago. Uh, maybe some of you have read it. It's one of the best books I've read in the last several years, but it's called Sapiens, um, A History of Humankind. And the author, Yuval Harari, um, he says that something really important happened in this time, and it wasn't all Good. Now, there was a lot of good things that came from this shift in, in human history, where, where suddenly people were creating more food, and then they were able to stay in one place, and they had more kids, and the human race began to grow exponentially, actually. But Harari says, he makes a really bold claim. He says this. He says, the agricultural revolution certainly enlarged the sum total of food at the, disposable, at the, at the disposal of humankind. But the extra food did not translate into a better diet or more leisure. Rather, it translated into population explosions and pampered elites. The average farmer worked harder than the average forager and got a worse diet in return. The agricultural revolution was history's biggest fraud. So Harari makes this bold claim that while we think it was this great leap forward and that humankind you know, learn to domesticate animals and learn to grow crops. And we were so smart and we, we did these things. He said, if you look at it from the perspective of wheat, wheat domesticated human beings more than human beings domesticated wheat. Because at the, at the heart of, of this revolution was bread. It was growing wheat, 
Grinding grains and making bread, it became a staple food, something that people ate every single day. Did you know that 10,000 years ago at the beginning of the agricultural revolution, that wheat only grew in a very narrow band in the Middle East? And now, over 1.5 million square miles of this planet is covered by wheat. Wheat has used human beings to propagate, evolutionarily speaking, propagate itself all over the world. Anybody here from Kansas? Ever drive through Kansas? 10,000 years ago, there was not one stalk of wheat in Kansas. And yet now, you can drive for miles and miles and miles across Kansas and see nothing but wheat. This is because grains and bread became central to the human diet. And this was true for certain in Jesus' time. In the first century in Palestine, bread was a staple food. Historians have found uh, stones that were used for grinding wheat, grinding grain, and making bread. The, The stories of Scripture from Old Testament to New Testament are full of references to bread. But But because it's so common, because we don't really think too much about it, and we don't often think about the context of Jesus's world, an agrarian economic society where people were literally having to to work and farm and grow this grain and grind the wheat. There was no preservatives. So so when they worried about daily bread, they were worried about the bread for that day because it wouldn't last they couldn't refrigerate it. They, they, it wasn't like Wonder Bread that lasts for, for like months somehow or another and doesn't go bad. No, bread that would be made in the first century was perishable. And so they were constantly making it. And so there was this idea that bread was equated with sustenance, with sustaining life in a way that's really, really important. You see this throughout the stories of Scripture. And we're going to take a look at a couple of stories where Jesus interacts with, where bread is a central part of the story. And it's an object that Jesus uses to convey a central and important message about what he came to teach and what he came to tell us and what has been preserved at the heart of our faith. The first story we're going to take a look at was written down by a man named Matthew. And Matthew was one of Jesus's first followers, one of the original 12 students of of Jesus, one of his first disciples. And Matthew writes an account of Jesus's life later um, after Jesus is crucified and resurrected and, and the church is beginning. Matthew writes down this account of what he remembers and he writes specifically as a Jewish man writing to a Jewish audience. And he's trying to help people to see that Jesus was the promised Messiah of Israel. So he wants them to see that all of the connections from Jesus's life back into the Old Testament and into the story of Israel. So this story today we're going to look at comes from the very beginning of Jesus's life, uh, of his public life at least, before just as he's kind of starting to travel and teach and, and begin to spread his message and convey what he came to convey. So it's the beginning of his public life, and it's appropriate to begin here because this story makes up the pattern that the season of Lent is sort of based on. So um, starting in Book of Matthew, chapter four, um, starting in verse one, we read this. It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the diabolos, the devil, the tempter. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So 
Captain Obvious, thank you, Matthew. Um, if you don't eat for 40 days, don't drink anything, you're hungry and you're thirsty. So at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus goes out into the wilderness. Now what every good Jewish man or woman listening to this story in the first century would have recognized was that Matthew is making a connection that Jesus is in the pattern of great leaders of Israel that have come before. In particular, he's following the pattern of Moses who goes out into the wilderness, who leaves the Israelite camp while they were wandering in the desert, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses goes and spends 40 days away from the Israelites when he receives the 10 commandments from God. And so there would have been this connection to say, Jesus is the kind of leader who goes away from the from kind of normal life and prepares for the work that he has been given to do. And Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is even greater than the great patriarch Moses. So he continues in his account of this story. He says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of of God. So throughout the stories of scripture, there's a recurring character who is the personification of God's enemy. He, he is called the tempter, the, the, the accuser, the deceiver, and there's an embodiment of the power and the force that, that comes against us in the world that tempts, that deceives, that leads us away from God. And so Matthew tells us part of Jesus is going out into the the desert was to be tempted by this force, by this personification of evil. And how does he first come at Jesus? There's multiple temptations. We're just going to look at the first one today. How does he come at Jesus? He says, if, if you really are the son of God, if you really are the Messiah, then you need to do something practical. You need to do something that people will care about you doing. You need to use your power to take an inanimate object, this, this stone, and turn it into something that people want, bread. You, you need to use your power to do something that will, that will garner favor with you, with people. If you can provide for their daily needs, if you can provide them daily bread, then they're going to listen to you. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way this is going to work. And he quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes Moses. He quotes from Deuteronomy where Moses stands before the, 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 the tribe of Israel before they enter the promised land. And he, he says to them, he says, beware, don't worry so much about your daily needs. God is the one who's going to take care of you. Listen to this verse from, from Deuteronomy 8. This is where Jesus is quoting from. When he says it was, it was written, or it is written, he's quoting Deuteronomy. Look, he says, he, God, humbled you, Moses said to the Israelites. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. If you remember the story from the Israelites wandering in the desert, this magical bread appeared every morning for a period of time to provide for the basic needs of the Israelites during a time where they didn't have enough food. He says, remember, remember how God provided for you. He provided this manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you. Teach you what? That man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus 
he affirms that he's coming not simply to provide sustenance for daily life, but a greater sustenance, something that is deeper, something is more than the needs of basic everyday life, more than the needs that regular bread can provide. And so hold on to this story. So think about this story. So Jesus isn't saying that these needs are not important. In fact, he will later teach his disciples to pray to God for daily bread. But he's saying there's something more important. Don't lose sight of the important reality that there's more to this life than this life. And if you only focus on your daily needs of sustaining yourself through food and water, what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, and your daily concerns, you're going to miss out on the main reason that I came. Hold on to this story, and we're going to fast forward to another story where Jesus comes back to this idea. Now, this one comes from the book of John. John is one of the four accounts of Jesus' life. John was also one of the first 12, one of the first 12 students of Jesus. And he tells this story that the others leave out. And this is, this is pretty consistent with John. When you read through the book of John, of the four accounts of Jesus' life, it's the most unique. It's as if John comes along and says, hey guys, first three of you did these you know, accounts of Jesus' life, good job, but you left some important stuff out. I'm gonna focus in on some stories you didn't include. And the story we're gonna take a look at comes after a story that they all include. The, the four accounts of Jesus' life all include this story about Jesus performing in a miracle and providing for people's daily needs. So maybe you remember this story. Jesus, as was often the case, drew crowds. When he would go and teach, he would heal people, people would show up, hundreds of them, thousands of them. And all four gospel accounts, all four of the accounts of Jesus' life tell, there was, tell us that there was a day when there were over 5,000 men alone and then, men, and then women and children in addition to that who were there gathered to listen to Jesus teach. And as he taught, it began to get late in the evening. And Jesus says to his followers, he says, hey, there's over 5,000 people here and it's getting late. We need to provide some food for them. And the disciples are like, well, I forgot to bring food for 5,000. Um, so what do you expect us to do? And so they ask around in the crowd, hoping that people would have brought some food that they could maybe split up and share. And all they find is a little boy with five loaves of bread made from barley, they tell us indicates that the boy's family was probably poor because barley was less expensive than wheat. Five small loaves of bread and two fish. And maybe you remember this story. Jesus takes the bread and he takes the fish and he begins dividing it up into baskets and the disciples are passing it out, playing waiter. And at the end of the story, there's more than enough food. They had more than enough to go around. Everyone was fed and satisfied and it was a miracle, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, what I want to focus in on is what happens next. And this is only included in John's account of Jesus's life. Jesus and his disciples get in a boat, leave the crowd, and go across the lake. Look at what happens next. When they, when the crowds found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Jesus calls them out. He's just performed this miracle, provided them food miraculously, met their daily needs, and now he, he leaves them and he goes to another part of the lake and they follow him. And he says, he calls them out, he simply says, 
you're not here because I did a miracle. You're here because you got a free meal and you're looking for another one. So he calls them out and he, he, he rebukes them. And look what he says next. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. He's telling them, don't be so focused on your next, where your next meal is going to come from. Don't look to me just to provide those, those needs. There's more important things that you, can be, you should be concerned with. You should be recognizing that I'm a person who just did a miracle. And yet you're worried about the product of that miracle. You're worried about what you can get from me. You're worried about what you're going to get out of this that meets your daily needs. You need to have deeper concerns. Nothing wrong with wanting daily bread, but you should be worried about something more. There is food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, which I, he says, will give you. Just ask me and I will give you the bread of eternal life. And look what he says next. So remarkable. Don't miss this. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and still you don't believe. Jesus says to the crowds, You need to look beyond your daily needs. Not that those are not important, but you need to understand there is more to life than this life. And what you need to receive, to experience a life that begins now and extends into eternity, eternity comes from me. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Is he saying if you simply do the works of God to believe in him that you're never gonna have to worry about daily bread again? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying there's something more important than daily bread, beyond your daily needs, beyond daily bread, beyond the concerns of everyday life. There's something more. Jesus says to the crowds, you came to me looking for bread. I am the bread that you're looking for. I am what you need more than you need your daily bread. Remember, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's making the connection for them. He's showing them here. Don't be worried only about your everyday needs. And he laments, he says, even though you have seen me, Even though you've seen what I have done, still you don't believe. Which it's easy to read these stories and to be critical, isn't it? It's easy to read these stories and think, how could a crowd see him do a miracle like this and still only be concerned about their next meal? But then we have to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, are we that much different? Or are we often consumed with our everyday concerns, with our daily bread, with with what we need to get through our everyday lives, our everyday weeks, our everyday experiences? We're also looking for daily bread 
And often we, we come to Jesus and we're concerned about these daily things and they're not unimportant. But I think sometimes Jesus wants to take a, us to take a step back and, and say there's, there's more to this life than this life. You don't need to be concerned only with your daily bread. I need to ask myself, do I really believe that Jesus offers bread and drink that means I'll never be hungry and I'll never be thirsty again for the things that bread and water can't, can't fulfill, can't sustain. No matter how much I eat, I'll be hungry again. But Jesus promises to feed something in me that can't be filled by those things. Do I, do I believe that that's possible? The good news is some days I do. Some days I look back and I think about God's faithfulness to me in my life and the way he's provided for me and for my family and for my friends and people in our church. And I think about the goodness that God has shown. And on those days, it's easy to say, God, thank you. I'm so grateful that you provide and that you provide not only in tangible, everyday, physical kinds of ways, but that you provide in a way that leads to eternal life. It's easy on those days, but those are not every day for me. There are other days that I struggle. I worry about what the future will be like. I worry about what the future will be like for my kids. I worry about little things like global worldwide pandemics and viruses that they still don't understand and still haven't fully contained are continuing to mutate and create uncertainty about a future and whether or not we're going to be able to take these masks off and go back to whatever normal was like a year ago. I, I worry about the division that exists in our society. I worry about divisions that exist uh, across racial lines and the ways that there's still hostility and animosity among people in our country. I worry about the division that exists across political lines and the way that we seem to just see the world and what's right and wrong and true and good and what the flourishing life for America looks like. I worry about our faith. I worry about the church. I see the things that are done in Jesus's name that seem to not represent him and his message and what he did and what he stood for and what he worked for. And I just worry, is there a future for the church? Or are we just watching the whole thing burn down? Yeah, there are days that I worry. And I need to be reminded on those days. I don't need any new information. I need to be reminded of God's faithfulness in the past. I need to remember the goodness that God has shown to me and to those that I know and to those that I love and that I care about. I need the stories from scripture that talk about God's faithfulness to humankind through generations. I need to remember Jesus's words. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough for my needs, beyond my needs of every day. Jesus is all that I need. There's no situation or circumstance, no need I can have that is too great for Jesus. But I need to be reminded. We need to be reminded. We are forgetful people. And the good news is that Jesus gave us a great way to remember, a great way to connect to his promise that he is the bread of life. It's what we call the practice of communion. Jesus established it with his first followers, with his first students, right before he went to the cross. The night before he was betrayed and crucified, he sat with his friends and he had a meal. 
And guess what? There was bread at the meal because there was always bread at the meal. And Jesus picks the bread up and that night the bread became something unique. It was a teaching point. Jesus broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember that I am the bread of life broken for you. And then he poured the wine in the cups and he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take this and remember me. And in so doing, Jesus instituted a practice that the church has continued for 2,000 years. We come to the table, we eat bread, we drink wine or juice, and we remember that he is all we need. He, He is more than any of the things that we would face in life. He provides for us in ways that go beyond our daily, everyday kinds of needs. He's more than daily bread. He's eternal bread that provides for us in this life and into the next. So every month in New Denver, it's become our practice that at least once a month, we celebrate communion. And like everything in the pandemic, it looks a little bit different than it used to. For those of you who are at home, hopefully you've gotten some elements, some bread and some wine or juice, maybe you're too early for wine, I don't know. But whatever you've got at home, we believe that this is representative, that this is an opportunity to remember in the way that Jesus called us to remember him, to break the bread and to eat it, to remember him as the bread of life, to drink the wine or the juice and to remember his blood poured out for us. And so if you're here today, we have, we used to have great homemade bread and now we have little individually hermetically sealed cups, like like sealed little tiny wafers of the bread of life. So when you're ready, Brian and, and the band are gonna play here in a moment. <clears throat> and when you're ready, um, you can come down the center aisle, follow the arrows, grab a little cup and return to your seat around the outside. Be sure to leave lots of distance um, between each other so we can be safe. Um, but take the bread and remember the bread of life broken for you and take the, the juice and drink it and remember Christ's blood spilled for you. Do this in remembrance of him.